Hello and welcome to The Grove Zone. You have tuned into the podcast of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. At Union Grove, we are learning, serving, giving, and connecting under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. David Anthony Clark, Sr. For more information on Union Grove, find us on the web at www. Dot the grovewr.org. And now, here's a word from the Lord. Uh, we uh, entitled this whole sermon series HERE, H-E-A-R, which is an acronym for Holy, Engaged, and Anointed Terrain. And as I have been sharing with you, Deuteronomy uh, really is Moses speaking to an upcoming generation who's going to go in and conquer and seize Canaan. And when we get to chapter 21, we hear him imparting some instructions uh, for a hypothetical situation that elders would respond to. And so uh, the Lord has allowed me to see how this uh, Old Testament ancient text still has contemporary relevance even today, even as to what God is doing at Union Grove uh, in this season. Um, We've sort of been relaxed about standing uh, during the reading of the scripture. You, but I'm going to ask if y'all don't mind if y'all would stand as we read Deuteronomy 21 verses 1 through 9. And again, this week I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, we praise God for First Lady Jay in the building on today. First Lady Jay Madison, uh, good to see you. And uh, First Lady Michelle Clark, of course, uh, we see her uh, regularly. We thank God for her and all of you again. Thank you. Deuteronomy 21, 1 through 9, New Living Translation. When you are in the land the Lord your God is giving you, Someone may be found murdered in a field, and you don't know who committed the murder. In such a case, your elders and judges must measure the distance from the site of the crime to the nearby towns. When the nearest town has been determined, that town's elders must select from the herd a heifer that has never been trained or yoked to a plow. They must lead it down to a valley that has not been plowed or planted and that as a stream running through it. There in the valley, they must break the heifer's neck. Then the Levitical priests must step forward, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister before him and to pronounce blessings in the Lord's name. They are to decide all legal and criminal cases. The elders of the town must wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken. Then they must say, Our hands did not shed this person's blood, nor did we see it happen. O Lord, forgive your people Israel, whom you have redeemed. Do not charge your people with the guilt of murdering an innocent person. Then they will be absolved of the guilt of this person's blood. By following these instructions, you will do what is right in the Lord's sight and will cleanse the guilt of murder from your community. Amen. I want to focus on the first few words of verse number nine in the New Living Translation. By following these instructions, you will do what is right in the Lord's sight and will cleanse the guilt of murder from your community. By following these instructions. I want to talk this morning from the thought, follow God's instructions. Follow God's instructions. The elder in the life of Israel was very important. The elders were men Israel could trust. Even more important, elders were men God could trust. 
These were aged men, probably heads of households, leaders of tribes, esteemed for their wisdom, honored for their longevity, trusted for their integrity, revered for their authority, followed for their faith, respected for how well they carried out their responsibilities, and impacted by their influence. Israel was made the better for any elder who was not, as Paul would write to Timothy, not a heavy drinker or dishonest with money, committed to the mystery of the faith and living with a clear conscience. There were different types of elders in the Old Testament, but they all had great responsibility and influence in Israel. When Moses had that encounter with the burning bush, God spoke to him and told him to return to Egypt. The Lord told Moses once he arrived in Egypt, he was to gather the elders of Israel and tell them the Lord said he had heard their cries for deliverance and he was coming to get them out of their bondage. It was elders who assisted Moses in leading the children of Israel uh, after his father in love Jethro encouraged him to share some of his leadership duties so he wouldn't wear himself out. In fact, those elders were among a few persons in the Old Testament upon whom God bestowed his spirit so they could assist Moses with supernatural power. It was elders who approached Samuel about getting a king to lead Israel. Elders were some bad motor scooters. They interacted with kings like Solomon, Ahab, Jehu, Hezekiah, and Josiah. They got down with a queen like Jezebel, a prophet like Ezekiel, and a priest like Ezra. As Moses speaks with Israel in our text today, they stand in the wilderness on the verge of conquering Canaan. God told him that elders were to provide governance in each city. If someone committed murder, the elders would prosecute the murders. If you had marital problems, you went to see the elders to get some help. If you were an elder in one of the cities of refuge, talked about that a couple weeks ago, you would decide whether a refugee was granted asylum. These Old Testament elders were not like elders as we have them here at Union Grove. Our elders preach, teach, and assist with oversight of our ministries. Our elders at Union Grove are more like what Peter talked about when he exhorted them to feed the flock of God and willingly provide oversight with a ready mind. But throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament and New Testament, elders was a term used of older, well-respected men with great influence and tremendous responsibilities. These were the types of men among whom were considered to serve as deacons in the Lord's church. When the apostles became overwhelmed with the demands of ministry and wanted to restructure the congregation so they could focus more on prayer and study while needs would be met and problems solved, an email hit the congregation's inboxes. The email said something like this. We've heard the complaints of the Greek widows. We're giving the appearance that we're discriminating against some of our sisters in the church family. We ain't about that life. We're going to get, we're not going to get down like that. Look out among you for men who are well respected, full of wisdom, and full of the Holy Ghost. The men they found and selected to become deacons were men just like William. Some folk call him Bo. Jerome. Nathaniel. Some folk call him Earl. Some folk call him Chief. Charles. Monroe. T.C. Donald. Slater. Jimmy, 
Curtis, Jose, Arthur, and Cleveland. These deacons were similar to the Old Testament elders God entrusted to lead Israel. The types of brethren who are given responsibilities to settle unresolved murder cases. In our text, Moses provided this hypothetical situation. A dead body is found that looks to be the result of homicide. If they had no idea as to who committed the murder, the elders of the nearest city, were to, uh, nearest city to the body were to be contacted. The elders of that city were to take the lead on this issue. They seem to have more responsibility and are much more involved than priests when it comes to this issue. The priests take the lead on other matters, but this one belonged to the elders. And the elders are to resolve this issue because it is serious. Murder is serious in the eyes of the Lord. We dealt with this a couple of weeks ago. And what makes this scenario, what makes this scenario different, however, is how there's an emphasis on guilt now resting on the land and of the people of Israel. You may ask why. Why is it that one person could commit murder and there would be guilt on the land and the people? Why is there corporate guilt on Israel because of the senseless act of one person? This happened elsewhere in the Bible, y'all. When, when Israel defeated Jericho, Achan held on to an idol seized from the battle. Israel went on to Ai next and lost because Achan hid an accursed thing. Again, possibly an idol. This one person's sin cost the people as a whole a victory. Cities and towns paying a price for an unresolved crime was common in that day and time, even amongst people of other religions. One belief is that that one act of an individual sin polluted the land and the people as a whole. When that happened, something had to be done to cleanse the land and the people of the pollution because God dwelled in that land amongst his people. Numbers 35, 33 and 34 says this. This will ensure that the land where you live will not be polluted for murder pollutes the land. And no sacrifice except the execution of the murderer can purify the land from murder. You must not defile the land where you live for I live there myself. I am the Lord who lives among the people of Israel. The unresolved homicide is to be dealt with as God instructed because murder pollutes the land and the people. And God dwells in the midst of his people in that sacred land. So the elders in that town were to select a heifer that was never trained or used to plow the fields. Now when I say heifer, I mean a real heifer. A cow. I ain't talking about nobody's wife. I ain't talking about nobody's sister. I ain't talking about nobody's girlfriend. I'm not talking about some old heifer that's always complaining. Or some old heifer over in the other cubicle on your, at your job. Or some old heifer down the street whose trash always ends up in your yard. Or that old heifer in the church always turn up mess. Or that raggedy heifer some dude has as a side chick. A real bona fide legit heifer. A cow. Used for, not yet used for plowing or threshing grain and providing milk. I'm talking about a cow. The elders were to take this heifer and tote it on down, carry it on down to a valley that has never been plowed or nothing planted in it with a stream in it and break the heifer's neck there. 
Since the elders didn't know who murdered the victim found near their city, they were to break the heifer's neck. Now, if they knew who committed the homicide, they'd execute the murderer. But since they didn't know who the murderer was, God instructed them to break the heifer's neck. Now, I, want, I wondered why a heifer? Why not a lamb? Why not a goat? Why, why not a dove? Why a heifer? The heifer was the animal God prescribed to settle this unresolved homicide. It would serve as a substitute for the murderer. And if the elders followed God's instructions, Israel would be cleansed, uh, cleansed uh, from guilt and for the murder. This heifer was to be taken to a valley that had never been plowed or anything planted in it with a stream to symbolize a sense of purity. A sense of purity to a certain extent. The animal and the place would have been untainted by man's hands. There seems to be a sense of purity about the animal and this place. And God prescribed this animal to be given up at that place in order to settle this matter of guilt over the unresolved homicide. After the heifer's neck was broken in the valley, the elders were to wash their hands, confess that they didn't murder the victim, and they didn't know who did. The priests were to provide oversight uh, over this ceremony, the elders were to pray that God would have mercy on Israel and God would pardon his people. And basically, that's the text. That's the scenario. That's how everything was to be handled in that day and time. You may think that this has no relevance for us because we as a congregation nor deacons would settle unresolved homicides. But before we breeze past today's text as if it has no relevance for Union Grove, I'd invite you to consider how God can be displeased with a congregation with the unresolved sin of one person. Granted, in the Old Testament, God dealt with his people as a corporate body, whereas he deals with us as individuals in the New Testament church. There are a couple random instances in the New Testament where God calls for an entire body of believers to get right with him while one or only a few are disobedient. When the Apostle Paul wrote the Corinthians about the young man having a sexual relationship with his stepmother, he told them, don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? This sin. Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is, which is, that, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrifice, sacrificed for us. Now, we are not to take every act of sin in the church and be ready to throw folks out. If we did that, we'd eventually have empty churches. All of us would be thrown out. This is simply one instance of how one person's sin can harm the entire body. But then in Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, Christ rebuked one church because they allowed that Jezebel, that heifer, to teach false doctrine. But he also proclaimed that each of us shall be dealt with individually. This isn't the only place in the Bible where we're told this. But in Revelation 2, 23, Christ will give to each of us uh, what we deserve. In other words, I won't pay for your sins and you won't pay for mine. Jesus paid for all of our sins. But we need leaders in our churches so we, as a church family, corporately please the Lord. 
We need leaders in our church families who commend our holiness and condemn our wickedness. We need leaders who make our church better, growing in sanctification, pleasing God individually and corporately. We need leaders who will serve us so God is pleased with us, causes his face to shine toward us, and gives us peace. Union Grove needs pastors like that. Union Grove needs elders and ministers like that. Union Grove needs trustees like that. And Union Grove needs you to be deacons like that. How could these elders of old assist today's deacons in a contemporary ministry? If they could, these elders of old would tell our deacons, follow God's instructions. When an unresolved homicide would happen, God provided instructions as to how to handle the situation. If the elders followed the instructions, Israel would be restored to a place of favor with God. Let's examine those instructions. Number one, God instructed the elders to handle sanctified symbols properly. That's the first thing we want to explore in these instructions God gave. God instructed the elders to handle sanctified symbols properly. Look at verses 3 and 4. Verse 3, when the nearest town has been determined, that town's elders must select from, or from the herd a heifer that has never been trained or yoked to a plow. Then they must lead it down to a valley that has not been plowed or planted and that has a stream running through it. There in the valley they must break the heifer's neck. The heifer becomes more than a common cow in the crowd or just another heifer in the herd that had not yet given birth or plowed a field. Under the right set of circumstances, it would become sanctified and become a symbol, a sanctified symbol to stand in for the murderer. Imagine that. One minute it is just a common cow in the crowd, but an unresolved homicide could make it more than that. One minute it is just a heifer in the herd, but an unresolved homicide can make it more than that. If selected, it would become a sanctified symbol to, to be given up so God's people could be restored in God's favor. It is to be handled properly by being taken to a field in the valley. The field must have never been plowed. It is not to have ever had anything planted in it. The heifer's neck is to be broken. It is not to be cut so that his blood is shed and sprinkled on an altar. His neck is to be broken. It is not to have its legs broken. Its neck is to be broken. God provided instructions as to how to properly handle this sanctified symbol. And if the elders followed God's instructions, God's people would be restored in his favor. Two things real quick. Number one, this would be 1A if you're taking notes. Deacons are required to handle sanctified symbols in the Lord's church. Water baptism is a sanctified symbol. The water symbolizes a death to sin and a resurrection in holiness. Water baptism is a sanctified symbol. Handle water baptism properly. Holy communion is a sanctified symbol. The bread, listen, the bread symbolizes the body of the Lord Jesus Christ given for our sins. The wine symbolizes the blood of the Lord. 
Jesus Christ shed for the remission of our sins. And remember, we must handle these sanctified symbols properly because remember Paul's admonition to the Corinthian church. They were guilty of mishandling this sanctified supper, this sanctified symbol. And he told the Corinthians that because they mishandled the Lord's supper, some of them were sick and some had died. Handle the sanctified symbols in the Lord's church properly. Here's the second thing. If you're taking notes, this would be 1B. Because of the Lord's instructions, we become sanctified symbols. Because of his doing, we become more than mere men. You and I symbolize God's love, God's grace, God's ability to transform. Because of the Lord's instructions, you and I become the salt of the earth. And the light of the world. Be careful how you handle sanctified symbols to include yourselves and others in the family of God. This animal, this animal could be transformed from a common cow in the crowd to a sanctified symbol as the result of a murder. This animal could be transformed from just another heifer in the herd to a sanctified symbol as a result of an unresolved homicide. In other words, this animal would become nothing more than just a mere animal if it had not been for an innocent man dying. Can we pause here, y'all, long enough to give God praise for sanctified symbols and the innocent man Jesus who died and because of his death you and I can become more than just mere men you and I can become more than just mere women all because of an innocent man dying he died and in him we live move and have our being and if any man is in Christ he is she is a new creation all things have passed away and all things have become new because of an innocent man's death. Somebody ought to give him glory today. God instructed the elders to handle sanctified symbols properly. But secondly, secondly, y'all, God instructed the elders to honor significant partnerships with the priests. Again, God instructed the elders, these elders, to honor sanctified or rather significant partnerships with the priest. I'm point number two. Point two. God instructed the elders to honor significant partnerships with the priest. Look at verse five. Verse five says, Then the Levitical priest must step forward, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister before him and to pronounce blessings in the Lord's name. They are to decide all legal and criminal cases. The priests were to step forward to provide oversight as the elders carried out God's instructions with the heifer. The elders had a role to play with stipulated responsibilities, and the priests had the same. The elders were to carry out the ceremony according to God's instructions, and the priests were there to ensure things were done as God had prescribed. There was no need for any disagreement. There was no need for any squabbling between the elders and the priests. They were to honor the significant partnership they had so God's favor could once again rest on God's people. It was a partnership. Let the church say partnership. It was a partnership and it was a significant partnership. And you may ask, Pastor Clark, what was so significant about this partnership? And I'm glad you asked. This partnership was significant because God himself put it together. 
The partnership between the elders and priests was significant because God himself put it together when the Lord considered who he wanted to work to remedy an unresolved homicide amongst his people. He called for the elders and the priests to work together. And this is what we have in today's church. The deacons and pastors partnering in ministry as a team that God himself put together that's what make our partnership significant this brings to mind i know what you're already thinking i'm thinking the same thing i know y'all are already thinking about charles martin newton i'm thinking the same thing we on the same page i know you're thinking man this makes me think of c.m newton charles martin newton played baseball and basketball for the university of kentucky in the late 40s and early 50s he later became the athletic director there at the university of kentucky from 1979 to 1985 charles martin newton served as the chairman of the ncaa rules committee under his leadership, college sports adopted the shot clock and the three-point line. He was proclaimed the most powerful man in college basketball. From 1992 to 1996, Newton became president of USA Basketball. That's our U.S. Olympics basketball team. This is when they began to allow professional athletes to represent the U.S. Uh, on, on that basketball team in the Summer Olympics. So you had, you had Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. Magic Johnson, Charles Barkley, Larry Bird, Patrick Ewing, Carl Malone, Chris Mullen, John Stockton, David Robinson, Clyde the Glide Drexler, and Christian Leitner. Charles Martin Newton led the effort to put that team together. C.M. Newton led the effort to put together a team no other team in the Olympics could defeat. C.M. Newton led many other individuals in selecting the NBA's best players to come together in a partnership that beat other teams by an average of over 40 points. When God wanted a team to deal with unresolved murder amongst his people, he partnered elders with priests. In the New Testament church, when God wanted his word to spread and new disciples to be made, he put together deacons and apostles. When the deacons were put in place in Acts 6, the Bible says the word spread and the number of disciples increased. This is what our partnership works toward. When the word spreads, disciples increase. Through our partnership, addicts become disciples through our partnership people filled with hate become filled with holiness and love through our partnership people get filled with the Holy Ghost and dream dreams and have visions we have a partnership that brings that brings backsliders back to God God partnered us together for his glory and the advancement of his kingdom we ain't got time to fight we ain't got time to squabble when we have disagreements and we will have disagreements we sit down and we talk and we reason together and we listen to one another and we pray together and pray for one another and keep things moving because this partnership is significant and what God has put together let no devil in hell defeat God instructed the elders to handle sanctified symbols properly he instructed the elders to honor significant partnerships with the priests. And then thirdly, y'all, God instructed the elders to humbly approach the sin situation personally. I know that's a lot. That's a lot. Let me give it to you again. God instructed the elders to honestly approach the sin situation personally. Yeah, I'm in verses 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7 of Deuteronomy 21, God instructed the elders to honestly approach the sin, the sin situation 
Personally, the elders of the town must wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken. Then they must say, our hands did not shed this person's blood, nor did we see it happen. Honesty was required of the elders as they approached the sin situation. With this murder, y'all, we have a sin situation. And their honesty is seen in two things. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, they are to wash their hands. God instructed them to wash their hands. They, they, they would wash their hands as a sign that they were not complicit in the murder. It was a sign that their hands had not shed innocent blood. They could not wash their hands if they were actually guilty of participating in the murder, nor could they wash their hands if they actually knew who committed the murder. The elders had to be the type of men who would not do such a thing. Their hands were not to commit anything evil, wicked, immoral, or dishonest. One of the problems with virtually every sector of our society is rampant dishonesty. There's rampant dishonesty in government. There's rampant dishonesty in business. There's rampant dishonesty in education. There's rampant dishonesty even in the church. There's rampant dishonesty in the media. Everyone is telling us what they want us to believe. Are y'all are y'all praying with me today? Bless his name. There's rampant dishonesty everywhere. It is difficult to get real problems solved when there's so much dishonesty in the causes of the problems and dishonesty in the proposed solutions. The elders were expected to approach this situation as men of integrity and honesty. Washing their hands was a symbol of such trustworthiness. Deacons are to be trustworthy men who can handle sinful situations with clean hands. Brethren, keep your hands clean. Look at your hands real quick. Both of you are out there in Cleveland. Look at, look at your hands. Look at your hands. Those hands, in fact, all of y'all, all the deacons, look, look at your hands. Those hands are not to commit anything evil, wicked, immoral, or dishonesty, or dishonest, especially against others in the household of faith. Brethren, keep your hands clean. Never let it be said that the reason the church ain't right is because you as a deacon got caught up in some sinful foolishness. You are expected to help solve problems, not create them, nor be in the center of them. Keep your hands clean. Somebody holler, keep your hands clean. You're not expected to be perfect, but you are expected to be honest, trustworthy, Men who exemplify a high standard of integrity. In other words, you're expected to be holy. Never let it be said that our deacons are immoral, hypocritical, sinful men. Do what's right even when no one is looking. Keep your hands clean, brethren. But then in verse number 7, another sign, another, another demonstration of their honesty is, and they're making a confession in verse 7. God instructed them to make a confession. Their confession was to be, our hands did not shed this person's blood, nor did we see it happen. Such a confession required honesty. This is a confession they're making before the Lord and the priests. If they were involved in this murder, integrity demanded they confess it, be tried, and executed. If the elders knew who committed the murder, they were obligated to report it. If they did not know, they were to simply, listen, they were to simply make this confession and keep it moving. 
They were not to open their mouths and gossip about who they heard did it. They were not, they, they, they were to, in other words, they were to watch their mouths. They were not obligated by God, please hear me. They were not obligated by God to go snooping and investigating to find out who did it. I found that very interesting that in the instructions, God did not say investigate and find out who did it. They did not have technology to check for fingerprints. They couldn't check DNA samples. They, they had no surveillance. At least I don't think they had surveillance cameras in that day and time. God gave them instructions and it did not require an investigation. It was not ordained for this particular scenario. They were not to go around looking for who was in sin. They were to watch their mouths and I'm encouraging you to watch yours. Don't go gossiping about foolishness that does not edify and build up. Don't go around snooping to see who is in sin. If they did not know who committed the murder, the elders were to honestly approach the situation personally. So watch your mouth. Somebody holler, watch your mouth. The elders were instructed to honestly approach the sin situation personally. This unresolved murder was a sin situation. It wasn't just bad news. It was a sin situation. And it took honesty and personal involvement with clean hands and a godly confession to clean it up and turn it around. God did not expect them to be untouched and unmoved and unbothered by this loss of life. God did not expect them to rigidly and coldly and arrogantly handle the heifer without some personal touch invested in the ceremony. They did not know who committed the murder, but they knew someone lost a son. Someone lost a father. Someone lost a husband. Someone lost a brother. Someone lost a nephew. And if nothing else, their community lost a person. So when you approach a sin situation personally, by getting directly involved, you are being just like Jesus. He, he was not complicit in the sin problem that existed in the earth, but with his bloody hands, he got us right with God. You may say, but bloody hands make a mess. How can you have clean hands when they're bloody? You told us to keep our hands clean and bloody hands aren't clean. Yes, the wrong blood on any given surface will make a mess. If we took your blood from your hands and splashed it on the carpet, we'd make a mess. If your blood wound up on your clothes, it may leave a permanent stain. But when we take the blood of Jesus and rub it on sin, we clean up a mess that nothing else can clean. What can wash? away my sins nothing but the blood of Jesus and with Jesus confession from the cross it is finished and into thy hands I commend my spirit he made it possible for, for man who was an enemy of the father to get restored to a place of divine favor we are saved by grace through faith all because Jesus an honest holy man honest holy lamb of God used his hands used his word used sacrificed his life to get us right with the father he followed the father's instructions he said the father's will would nourish, nourish his being it was his meat it was his drink these elders and you as deacons serve a critical role in solving sin situations so Follow God's instructions. Keep your hands clean. Watch your mouth. We got to solve problems, not create them. And God instructed these elders to handle sanctified symbols properly. Honor significant partnerships with the priests. Honestly approach the sin situation personally and finally. Humbly pray 
for his people to be pardoned. Finally, y'all, these elders, which could be a type of New Testament deacons, were expected to humbly, instructed to humbly pray for God's people to be pardoned. Look at verse number eight. Oh, Lord, forgive your people Israel, whom you have redeemed. Do not charge your people with the guilt of murdering an innocent person. Then they will be absolved of the guilt of this person's blood. The elders were instructed to intercede for their people. They humbly prayed for God to be merciful and forgive. Look at verse 8 in the King James Version. Be merciful. Here's their prayer. Be merciful, O Lord, unto thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed. And lay not innocent blood unto thy people of Israel's charge, and the blood shall be forgiven them. They prayed for the Lord to forgive his redeemed people. They prayed for the people of God, their own community of, of chosen people in which they reside. These are people among whom they fellowshiped and lived. Are y'all with me today? They prayed for them and they should. They shouldn't want what happened to the murder victim to happen to them or their son or their wife or their daughter or their brother or sister father nephew niece mother on the other hand they shouldn't want to be on God's bad side praying this prayer would would remove the people of God from being on God's bad side this sin situation of a murder an unresolved murder put the people of God on his bad side in recruit training in Marine Corps recruit training you you never wanted to get on your drill instructor's bad side but it seemed like these dudes were in a bad mood every day Every day. But some days were worse than others. This one day we had, this one evening, this one evening we, we were, we had this, just one drill instructor on duty this one particular evening. We had gone to evening child, that's dinner. We come back to the barracks. I'm, I may have told y'all this story. We come back to the barracks and um, we're, we're, we're standing on line. You have to stand at attention at the foot of your bunk, your bed, your rack. You have to stand, you just stand there. And so we're standing there, and this one particular drill instructor, he's standing at the water fountain and just standing there staring at us. We, we stand at attention. He's standing at the water fountain just staring at us. So we're standing there, and we're looking at, you know, we, we can't say anything because we're at attention. We, but we eyeballing like, you know, and nobody knew what was going on. He's standing there forever. And then right after dinner, right after a full-course dinner, full-course meal, he said, when I give you the instruction, grab your canteens. He said, move. So we went and grabbed our canteens. When I give you the instruction, you're going to go in the head, the restroom, and fill your canteens with water. We went in the restroom, filled the canteens with water, got back online. He said, when I give you the command, you're going to drink that canteen of water. This is a quart of water. After you finish eating dinner. So we guzz he gave us a command, we guzzled the water. A whole quart. He said, hold the, hold the canteen upside down above your head. We hold it upside down above our head. When I give you the command, you're going back in the head. Fill them up again with water. We go in the head. We're like, what in the world? We fill up the canteen. We get back online. He said, when I give you the command, you're going to drink that canteen of water. Now, we just fit. I don't know how many of y'all can eat your dinner and then guzzle down two quarts of water and keep your food down. Apparently, somebody ate, ate something in the chow hall they weren't supposed to eat. Or drink something they weren't supposed to drink. Something happened in that chow hall to get this one particular drill instructor, get us on his bad side, and we paid for it. After that second canteen, dudes were running to the windows. They're puking all over the place. and It was a mess. It was awful. We got on that drill instructor's bad side. 
for the last time. For the last. I really don't know if somebody actually did something or he just felt like messing with us that night. But we got on his back. You didn't want to get on the drill instructor's bad side. But, but you, you sure don't want to get on God's bad side. And the murder put Israel on God's bad side. But God provided instructions without canteens. A remedy to rectify the situation. It included the elders prayer. And ain't that good news y'all? That you can get on God's bad side. But God can mandate for you to pray for mercy. And God will give you mercy. This prayer absolved the people of guilt of the innocent person's murder. Deacons never underestimate the power of your intercession for the Lord's people. The people of God always need leaders who care enough about them to intercede on their behalf. Remember when Moses interceded for the Lord's people when God wanted to wipe them out and destroy them but Moses interceded and God spared them God heard his people God heard his servant Moses and just as God paid attention to Moses he'll pay attention to you when you intercede and humbly pray for God's people to be pardoned so pray pray for the people of God pray that he forgives his people so that we are pardoned pray for the people of God pray that he restores those who have backslid and drifted away from him pray y'all pray that those who have become addicted to drugs and alcohol will be delivered and pardoned pray pray that those who are in rebellion against God will repent and be pardoned pray for the people of God pray pray that they will draw closer to him and that he will draw closer to them pray that he touches their hearts to call on him pray that God touches the hearts of our youth to call on Jesus because when we cry out for mercy God grants it when we pray when we cry out for another chance God grants it when we pray for God to shower us with mercy and forgiveness God grants it to us and just as the elders would pray and God would honor it you pray and God will honor it and prayer changes things you don't need a title to get your prayer answered prayer changes things you don't need a collar to get your prayer answered prayer changes things you don't need an ordination certificate to get your prayers answered prayer changes things simply because our God is a merciful God our God is a loving God our God is a compassionate God and God prayer changes things well that's it y'all that's it break the heifer's neck partner with the priest wash your hands wash your hands make your confession and pray and the people will be cleansed from the guilt of the murder of the victim's blood. Wait, that's it? That's it. The people don't have to engage in a corporate fast. The people don't have to wear sackcloth and sit upon a heap of ashes. There's no need for an investigation to find out who, who murdered the victim. The elders were to break the heifer's neck, partner with the priests, wash their hands, make their confession, and pray. And the people will be cleansed from the murder, from the guilt of the murder and the, victim, the victim's blood. God will take care of the murderer. You follow God's instructions. And the good news is when you follow God's instructions, when you prove that you want to be faithful to God, when you do what God told you to do, God will do what he promised he would do. 
Let's say that one more time and I'm done. When you do what God instructed you to do, when you are faithful to what God called you to do and do what he told you to do, God will respond and do what he promised he would do. Let me repent for lying. I said I was only going to say it one more time. But I got to say it again. When you do what God told you to do, when you follow God's instructions, when you fulfill God's commands on your life, God will respond. And in turn, God will do what he said he would do. For our God is a faithful God. Did you hear what I said? I said our God is a faithful God. And he will do just what he said he would do. Can I get a witness here? Is there anybody here who knows firsthand that if you do what God said do, God will, he will do what he said he would do. Our God is a faithful God. Our God cannot lie. And I think that's what's keeping some of y'all going right now. Because you believe God will do just what he said he would do. Is there anybody here who can testify? I've seen God do it. I've seen God come through. I've seen God fulfill his word. I've stood on his promises. And I've seen God come through. You do what God said do. You follow God's instructions. And God will. He will do. Just what he said. He would do. Somebody ought to give him glory. Somebody ought to give him praise. For every time he came through. For every time he fulfilled his word. For every time he showed himself faithful. God will. God will. God will. He will do. Just what he said. He would do. Won't he do it? I said won't he do it? I said won't God do it? Shout yes. Shout yes. Yeah, yes. Glory to God. You do what God told you to do. Fulfill his instructions. God will respond. The elders could bear witness. If we fulfilled his instructions, followed his instructions with this heifer, he promised he would show mercy to his people and forgive them. When you follow God's instructions, God will in turn respond by doing what he said he would do. If he said he would heal, he's going to heal. If he said he, was, he would provide, he will provide. If he said he would forgive, God shall forgive. He cannot lie. He can't help but be faithful. Follow God's instructions. This has been Dr. David Anthony Clark of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. We thank you for listening. If you're ever in the Middle Georgia area, please worship with us. On the behalf of Dr. Clark and the Union Grove family, thank you for listening.